today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. going to be a period of time. This judgment is going to be extended for a while. That final fulfillment, I believe, will be that seven years of tribulation that we find in in Daniel chapter 9 and in other places. We look at that time of wrath, that time of tribulation. Yet even in the midst of the absoluteness of that impending judgment, guess what? God is still seeking to save those that would come to him. Destruction's coming. The nation's going to be obliterated, wiped out. But yet, if you yourself as an individual will turn back to me, I'll save you. The words of warning from Zephaniah hit pretty close to home for us today. Our nation has rejected God and chosen wickedness over righteousness. This grieves God's heart. He doesn't look forward to bringing destruction. But because men harbor evil in their hearts and reject Him outright, they ultimately will face the consequences. As Pastor David warns in today's message, those consequences will be dire. But until the gates of hell are sealed, God will welcome anyone that repents and turns to Him. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Zephaniah chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Day of the Lord. order to show their power over the Jews, the Jewish ark, the Hebrew children's ark. They had taken the ark and they put it in the house or the temple of Dagon, the god of the Philistines. And you remember the story. They, they put it in there and they thought, great, we've captured the ark. Well, they came in the next morning and the big statue of Dagon, he had fallen face forward in front of the ark. And they thought, whoa, whoa, what what happened here? We can't have that. So they sat Dagon back up again. They came in the next morning, and Dagon had fallen again, broken his arms and his head off. All that was left was his torso, and he had fallen across the threshold of the door. Now, at that point in time, we read it, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 5, when they arose early in the morning, behold, Dagon had fallen upon his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Verse 5 is where we're coming to. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that come into Dagon's house now tread on or step on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So the threshold leading in, that's, that's the, the, the portion of the floor just at, right at the door. They don't step on it. They step over it. They leap over it. And that's what, again, the Lord is referring to here in Zephaniah. Because as time went on, since the homes of these Philistines were dedicated to Dagon, it had developed into a Philistine superstition that you don't step on the threshold when you go into the door. You make certain that you step 
over it. And, 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 and the Israelites, for some reason, because they started following these pagan gods, they started recognizing the same thing. They started adhering to the same superstition. Now, here's something you may not know. You know the, the, the tradition we have of carrying the bride over the threshold? It has absolutely nothing to do with that so far as I can find out. Okay. I, I looked. I, I mean, that was the first thing I went to. Man, that's a day on practice. We're not going to do that anymore. No, I, no it, it, it actually does have some stuff to do with superstitions, but all kinds of stuff like, uh, you know, the demons that are trying to follow the woman into the house so the guy picks her up and the demons can't find her then and crazy stuff. Even back to the time of the Romans where uh, they would take the bride and literally drag her into the house uh, against her will because, again, supposed to be a symbol of, well, I don't want to leave my parents. You know, I love my parents. Please drag me away from here uh, kind of a thing. So, But it doesn't have anything to do with Dagon. Anyway, I regress. So God w- w- was, was certainly going to get the attention of the people of Judah. And also, the, the, as I said, the surrounding nations. Again, this calamity, this judgment is going to grow and it's going to continue. We see the extent of, of the financial disaster here in chapter 1. Look over in verse 10 in Zephaniah, not 1 Samuel, in, in Zephaniah chapter 1. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate. Now, the fish gate was the merchant's entrance. Around the city of Jerusalem, the wall around the city of Jerusalem, they have a number of gates, entry gates that would be there. The fish gate was the one that the merchants would come into. They had another gate called the dung gate. I'll let you figure out what happens at that gate. Uh, So there's various sort of things. But the fish gate where the merchants come in. There's gonna be a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter and a loud crashing from the hills. So what's going on? here. He continues on in verse 11. Will you inhabitants of Maktesh, now that's the market district there in the old city of Jerusalem, because all the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. In other words, there's going to be a major financial crash. The depression that we saw in our nation back in the early 1900s and in the early 2000s has nothing on what's going to happen here. Verse 13, therefore their goods shall become booty and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. Now just think of this for a moment, if you would. Think back, if you would, just 10 years ago, 2007, 2008, that time. All the houses that were being built and built and built, and then suddenly they were abandoned, abandoned, abandoned because of the market crash, because people losing jobs and everything. That's how easy this thing can happen. It happened to Israel, but it would never happen to us, right? I can guarantee you that it can, and I believe should the Lord tarry that it's very, very strongly possible that it will happen even here. They'll build houses but not inhabit them. They shall build vineyards but not drink their wine. Now to drive it home, again, for those that are hard of understanding, verses 14 through 18 gives it even better clarity. Look what he says, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It's near and it hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. 
verse 15, that day is a day of wrath. It's a day of trouble and distress. It's a day of devastation and desolation. It's a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 16, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities, against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men. They shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, their flesh like refuse, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. That's a pretty depressing declaration. So let's close as we end tonight. And uh, no, you look at this and you think the the voice of the Lord speaking through prophets like Zephaniah, uh, like Habakkuk, uh, like uh, the multitude of those that were speaking during those days, warning them. Look, God's, first of all, if we, if we back up, if we back up prior to the time of Hezekiah, the prophets were still declaring this, saying, look, if you don't change, God's wrath is going to come. If you don't reject these foreign gods, these foreign women, these foreign practices of worship, the wrath of God is going to come. And yet they continue to refuse to listen to the warnings to now it's saying, okay, you didn't listen? It is coming now. It is coming. And it will be absolute devastation. Can't you hear the Lord in the midst of these words saying, did you not get that? Did you not understand what was going to happen when you continued on one hand to say that you were a follower of Jehovah God and on the other hand, you were so involved in the world and the ways of the world? Did I not make myself perfectly clear that I am a jealous God and I'll have no other gods before me? And you see, they pushed it and they pushed it and they pushed it And now God is saying, time's up. It's coming now. First of all, you need to understand that the great day of the Lord, it's not going to be just a single day. It's going to be a period of time. This judgment is going to be extended for a while. That final fulfillment, I believe, will be that seven years of tribulation that we find in in Daniel chapter 9 and in other places. We look at that time of wrath, that time of tribulation. Yet even in the midst of the absoluteness of that impending judgment, guess what? God is still seeking to save those that would come to him. Destruction's coming. The nation's gonna be obliterated, wiped out. But yet if you yourself as an individual will turn back to me, I'll save you. Look what he says in chapter two, beginning in verse one. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Verse three, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Even in all that God is saying to them, time's up, the decree has been issued, destruction is coming, 
The desolation is headed your way. But that's as a nation, and that's as a whole people group. But you as an individual, you still have a chance to repent and to turn and to humbly seek the Lord. And beloved, I, 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 I can't help but say, man, this is God's word to the United States even now for us as a nation that I believe should the Lord tarry, maybe not the great wrath of God, but I believe that the wrath of God can be poured out. I mean, we've seen it through the, through the generations, through millennia, since the time of Christ and even before that, where God's judgment comes in because of the disobedience of the people. And yet in the midst of that, as I said before, that remnant that's there, it says, but I love God. I, I, I want to follow him with all of my heart. I don't care what my neighbors say. I don't care what my family says. I want to follow God. And God honors that. And though he may bring judgment in a place or in a nation or at a time, even over the whole world, I believe that God also honors those who honor him. All we have to do is look back at the children of Israel during the time of the Egyptian captivity while they were slaves there. And remember, all of the plagues that came on Egypt, but those plagues didn't hit Israel. They're up in uh, where, where, where they were at. They, they didn't have all those plagues. And even when that great and final plague came, that great and final judgment, which we can relate to what's going on here, that great and final judgment, because of the Passover because the blood of the lamb was adhered to the homes of those individuals, then God's wrath was even passed over them. That's the only hope that we have, guys. That is the only hope that we have. Even just turning around and trying, well, I'll try and be a nice person. I'll try and deal good with my neighbor. I'll, I'll help you know, people where I can. That's all fine and good, but it is the blood of the Lamb that is, again, applied to our lives that will truly and only make the difference in the overall outcome of things. As long as you live your life, as long as you have breath, you are able, yes, to turn back to God. That's the faithfulness of God. That's the long-suffering of God. The unfortunate thing is way too many people say, well, then I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna sow my wild oats for a while. I'm gonna go ahead and live in the world and just enjoy life all that I can. And then when I get to be like really, really old, like maybe in my 50s or so, then, then, then I'll, I'll, I'll come to God. But beloved, our next heartbeat is not promised to us, is it? It is not promised to us. And when the time comes that we stand before God, are we those who have sought righteousness are we those who have, again, applied the blood of the Lamb? You never know when that final day is going to come. You never know when the heart's going to stop beating, when that accident takes you to meet him face to face. Through the prophet Isaiah, God gave these words. Isaiah 49 says, Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I've heard you, and in the day of salvation I've helped you. The apostle Paul picks up on that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. And then Paul says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation because none are promised tomorrow. None are promised the next hour. Now is the accepted time 
now is the day of salvation. God was giving an opportunity for as many as would to become a portion of that remnant that were going to be saved, even in the midst of the judgment. God has always, as I've shared, he's always had a remnant because of the long-suffering, because of his patience, because of his love, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting or eternal life. Even in the worst of times, even in the darkest of hours, God has always had a remnant. But for the majority, for the majority, God's condemnation is clear, it's unmistakable, and it's unpreventable for those that continue to reject him. The balance of chapter two points out particular nations and, and people groups that, that, that God has appointed for his wrath because of their pagan ways, uh, because of their continued disobedience. Uh, verses four through seven talks about Philistia, that's uh, to the west of Judah, uh, the cities of Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Ekron, four major cities of the Philistines. God says, I'm gonna wipe you out. Uh, he speaks of Moab and Ammon. These are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Again, he, he speaks in verses eight through 11. Even as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah was uh, with their punishment, the, the punishment for Moab and Ammon is gonna be just as bad. He even speaks of Ethiopia, and that brings it down to the south. Not only the land of Egypt, but also Sudan and that whole northern Africa area. Again, God's judgment there in verse 12. Then verse 13 through 15, Assyria to the north. Soon to be, Assyria, you gotta understand that when this word was given, Assyria had not been destroyed. Assyria was still a power broker in the area. They were still powerful and mighty. And yet God's judgment comes on them. But pretty soon they're gonna be destroyed. Pretty soon they're gonna become known as a ghost town. The Lord speaks to Nineveh, that great city in verse 15. Look at it there in chapter two. This is that rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it and there's none beside me. Oh, how she's become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down. Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. There's no might, there's no power in that anymore. They're gonna be destroyed. Now, we look at these four areas as he speaks there, Philistia, Moab, Namon, Ethiopia, so to the west, to the east, to the south, and then Assyria to the north. Now, all of that might be symbolic, might be just simply representing all four corners of the earth, signifying again that all nations are gonna be judged by the Lord on the day of the Lord. They may get away with their wickedness now, but there is coming that day. But for a moment, let's take, if we would, look at this prophecy against the Assyrians and against Nineveh, the great city of the Assyrians. Now, about 50 years prior to Zephaniah's proclamation here, uh, about 50 years prior to that uh, was the time of the ministry of a guy, you might remember him, uh, smelled a little bit like fish oil, uh, a guy by the name of Jonah. About 50 years prior to this was Jonah's ministry. And remember, he goes up to the Syrians and in particular to that great city of Nineveh. And, you know, he gave such a, a deep theological message to Nineveh. You know, 40 days in judgment, 40 days in judgment. But they knew what was coming. 
And they repented. I mean, the king repented. The king called for the people to repent. They even, you know, even for the cattle and everything, you know, repent, man. We deserve judgment. They knew how wicked they were. So we see that, and they they went down in sackcloth and ashes from the king on down to the least of the people. And again, the, the king himself called for this national day of repentance and seeking after God. Now, that was 50 years prior to, so about a generation prior to this. And if a generation doesn't do what a generation is called to do, the next generation has no hope. The responsibility that you and I have for the gospel today to that next generation, those young people that left the room a little while ago, those children that are over in the Awanas group, those that are in the nursery right now, beloved, it is our responsibility to live the truth before them and to speak the truth before them because if you and I don't do it, then we're gonna lose a generation if we haven't lost them already. Assyria lost a generation, a generation that repented, that God pulled back from destroying them. And now we come to the time of Zephaniah during the, king, the, the, the reign of King Josiah in Judah. We're about the time frame now of, of around 630 B.C., there was another prophet, actually a little bit before, 630 B.C. was a little bit before Zephaniah, but there was that other prophet, Nahum, now, his is, again, a very short prophecy. And, and like Noah's prophecy, like Noah's ministry, Nahum was directed only to the people of Nineveh, about 50-so years, about a generation after Jonah. So if you're in Zephaniah, flip back, again, two books to Nahum. Real short little book. And again, the, the time frame is close to Zephaniah, but a little bit before Zephaniah. Assyria is still in great power, but you need to understand in the time frame of history, they are about to be, they don't know it, but they're about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. And so now God comes in, and again, now he is bringing his judgment, he's pronouncing his judgment, and this time there's no chance for repentance. You had that a generation ago, but this time the judgment is coming. Look at Nahum chapter 1, starting verse 2. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it Who can stand before his indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Then look down in verse 14. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. And I will dig your grave because you are vile. Ah, you're not just wicked. In God's eyes, you're vile. 
Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.